What I do to attract investors is, I, just like the other business, I try and add value. And I do that by educating. How can I educate people maybe on the risk they're out there, how to find the right sponsorship group? Um, how, do you, how do you spot their underwriting to make sure they're being conservative? How do you, um, what questions do you ask? I created a, a 40 question checklist a while back on my website of, of what questions to ask a sponsor. Don't ask them all, but here's, here's a sampling, right? I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Chad Sheeler. Chad is a driven, accomplished real estate investor and syndicator in the Indiana market. Prior to real estate, he spent 17 years in the electronic payment industry. Um, Chad, I'm going to stop there and say, first, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. I uh, appreciate you taking the time out to come and share your story. Thanks, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. And and let's start there. Let's start just kind of let people know your background. Uh, sounds like you didn't start in real estate, which I think is actually a fairly common theme. A lot of us don't. Um, but maybe talk about your background and then kind of what brought you into real estate space. Yeah, you know, I knew for years I want to get into it. Uh, I had an uncle, like grandpa and other friends that were in real estate for a long time. And I honestly, I, I chose a sales route for about 17 years uh, from West Lafayette, Indiana, born and raised there, Purdue area. Uh, moved to Indianapolis when I was 19 years old, was in a re retail management for several years, and then started back in 2007, you know, selling credit card processing services, did really well at that, uh, learned how to, you know, develop sales skills, how to build value, add value to people's lives, come, you know, have, have a mindset shift from a sales perspective to how can I add value to your life? It really helped me a lot in that, that business. But, you know, that was more of a uh, it's a great business to be in. It really was like we, it was residual. Um, it was relationship business. So a lot of those skills actually carried through into investor relations with real estate. So they both kind of go hand in hand. Um, I think back in 2011, I knew I want to get into real estate and I kept setting a goal every year that I want to buy a first property. This is like 12 years ago. And it never happened until three years ago. And every year I kept doing that. I'm like, what is happening here? So 2017, 18, I started reading a lot of books and podcasts, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, rabbit hole, right? That's that's where it just explodes from there. And just talked to a lot of people, a lot of coffees and, you know, meetings and more books and more books. And then finally, I started looking at properties. And, you know, I'm an overanalyzer by mistake, by fault. I just... Just I'm an analysis paralysis. My wife even tell you that. So it's just it's one of my qualities, but it's one of my faults as well. So I looked at a lot of properties and finally found this fourplex. Uh, I got outbid on it, and I kept getting outbid again, and again, and again. And then finally one one morning, this popped in the market a fourplex, and I'm like, I'm gonna get this thing no matter what. And I I offered on the property ten thousand over asking, sight unseen, no inspection, was fully vacant, and I'm like. What am I doing here? And of course, I got the deal, of course, right? I gave him two hours to respond. I was like, yep, you can have it, fine. So got the deal. I'm like, all right, well, I might have lost $30,000 here and make a mistake on my on my first property, but it's worth the, the experience I'll get. It's worth it to me. I want to get started. Because we all know that no one ever buys one deal and stops. 
you know, whatever it does, right? You, you get one, get the second one, the third one. So actually, no, be a really good deal. And after like 18 months, I doubled my money, 18 months. So it was a great deal. But in between that point in time, I got, you know, then more experienced, more comfortable with, with that whole real estate game, bought a 15 unit, bought a 20 unit, 25 unit, and just kind of went from there. And today we're about three years into it, um, you know, newish compared to other guys out there. Uh, we're at 140 right now, 140 units, uh, be probably 180 in a couple months here. And uh, we have a good, good little scaling goal for ourselves. So that's my, that's my story. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, commonalities, people getting going in real estate. And and I think, but in, but like important, especially to people that are listening and, and maybe trying to get started out. One, I think, you know, you mentioned you set that goal to buy a property and kind of kept putting it off, putting it off and having analysis paralysis. And it, it's, it, that's normal. Like that's, <laughs> I feel like that's what a lot of people go through. You, you know, you can spend a lot of time having it be a goal or, or some vision in the future and really it, 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 it's it speaks to the value of taking action which is you know kind of ultimately when you started putting in offers that's what happened and you and you had to put in multiple offers you know it, as an investor you know when you when you're looking at a property as an investor versus say someone who's like buying their you know forever home right you have a you have a different set of criteria and so especially if you're um, you know, in, into analyzing, it's probably going to, they're not all going to look right. They're not all going to pencil. They're not all going to, you know, feel like a good deal. And then, and, and I don't know, you, you correct me if you're, if I'm wrong, but you probably wouldn't advocate that everyone just go in and be offering 10,000 over just, just to get a not deal. Today. Yeah, not today. And it, and it, and it, that was kind of the second part of my point is I'm sure, you know, the, the market helped that, but, but the reality is, is, is what I really liked about what you said is that, Hey, I, I, if I lose $30,000, like, or, you know, I have $30,000 in here to, to learn, to, to do the process. And I think yeah. that's, that's kind of because actually doing it is what's going to teach you the most, you know, sometimes, sometimes you do take a risk to, to get going. And then, you know, the, the, a lot of times the first deal, <clears throat> excuse me, the first deal that you do might not be a deal that you would do, you know, kind of five years down the line, you know, our, our criteria yeah. change and things like that. So okay. I just, I, I love the idea of, of just like, Hey, I'm doing this. <laughs> it's good. It's going to happen one way or the other and, and get going. Um, what are some of the lessons that you learned from that deal, once you got it, you know, kind of, and it sounds like it was very successful. We were able to, um, you know, make money on it in a short period of time. But what was, what sort of things do you, was this a value add? What what were you doing to kind of, uh, I yeah. guess, make yeah. that deal run? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a huge value add. It was it was light light cosmetic upgrades. I put about twenty five k in, maybe twenty k into it to just redo some paint and flooring. You know, find some tenants. But I had a professional third party management company do the work. That was the agreement between me and my wife. I couldn't manage myself, and it taught me a lot of lessons. So I think lessons I learned were number one, um, get an inspection. Number one, that was like a huge no no. <laughs> uh, but that inspection a year ago from the prior sell, I'm like, oh, that'll work fine. Like, e rolls, that's not a problem at all. Nothing so, changes in a year. Yeah. And my realtor's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. No problem at all. Yeah, so, great. <laughs> great advice. I know, right? So, I mean, he's a great guy. Don't don't fault him at all. But I mean, we had a, like a, we had a heat pump go out, actually, two of them in the first six months. So, had I got an inspection, we would have probably caught that. You know, the roof had some issues. It was kind of like, 
kind of cave in a little bit, not like major, but just need to be open up ventilation wise. Um, I learned that management companies, you got to pick the right one. I, you know, with the fourplex, you don't have many options, honestly, and you're not going to get a big multifamily um, management company to manage it for you. Uh, so it's really kind of like a mom pop type uh, PM company. And I learned that, you know, when you're at that level, that little, that lower unit count, you're just not going to get the best service and best quality, you know, because there's not a lot of money in that deal for them. So we had, we had problems leasing up. We, it, we had longer vacancies. Um, I just had communication problems here and there. And I think what kind of, what made me actually sell the property was I, would, I, I then had about 80 units in my belt after that property was bought. So I'm like, this, this four unit is like wasting all my time. I didn't get rid of this thing get off my plate and kind of move full cycle deal, you know? So we had one unit that was trying to get leased for probably a month or two months. And I'm like, you know what, let's just sell it. So I, I talked to them about it. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna sell the property. How does this whole process work? And they're like, well, per our agreement, if you wanna sell this property, then we have to be the, the agent or the broker selling the property for you. I'm like, wait a second. This is not what I signed up for. I've got a broker myself who I bought the property through. He's in sell for me. Like, well, if that's going to happen, you've been on market. Well, you got to just, um, we, we aren't managing it for you. We're going to walk off the day one. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I called my buddy up. I'm like, look, you have 30 days to sell this thing off market. Go. <laughs> on the 28th day, he sold it for, for, for what we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Oh, that, that's a lesson there. Yeah, read yeah. your PM agreement for sure. Right. <laughs> Right, right. That definitely some lessons there. And and your your point about the property management groups, it's not to it's not not to disparage any of them. It, it's it's really though, probably a big reason why uh, a lot of people, as you start to scale, you realize that's a huge component of it, right? Because you're not you're not self managing, you know a. a hundred and something unit apart like as and so as you get more and more units it gets harder and harder to do it yourself and so you're bringing in third-party management but the the quality of the management it really goes up with the number of units it does. because yep. as you said they're gonna they're gonna make a lot more money it's it, it's the the amount of time for the amount of money generated is it that ratio starts to change quite a bit as you get you know I guess people say 100 units some people say 150 units but as you get you know sort of bigger and bigger now you have on-site staff you have uh, on-site leasing people on-site maintenance that kind of thing that are are going to really change the the um, picture of how that property presents and when when someone comes to lease it so it, it helps um it helps with with the the tenant base that's there and it helps with leasing to to have the ability to have people on site and so when you have a four unit or even you know a 10 unit or something like that it, it you're very unlikely to have anyone on site and so it's a matter of you know they've got to call phone numbers set up a, a tour or maybe there isn't even a tour to do. It's just kind of like, hey, we have, <laughs> we have this unit coming available, that kind of thing. So, I think that that that's one of the the big reasons why people who get into multifamily, uh, or or go come from um, single family to multifamily, however it goes, that scaling is a lot based on the on the management side of things. Um, yep. As as you've scaled. Uh, you know, you kind of doing bigger, and bigger. Is it is it all around Indiana? Is that all local to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like most real estate guys, they kind of get your teeth cut on the tertiary markets. You know, the small stuff. It's it's easier to get into it, right? Lower basis. 
Um, you learn your lessons, all that kind of stuff as well. So yeah, we've got all of our properties are within about an hour and 20 minutes of Indianapolis right now. And now our most recent deals are getting a little more concentrated and better, 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 stronger MSA, stronger, stronger markets with more population, more job growth. And that's, that's the eventual uh, goal of our company. Yeah. Yeah. And are you buying these all like yourself? Or are you syndicating? What, how are you uh, structuring your deals? Yeah. Good question. So the first four I did myself, um, then I chose to do, you know, one with a partner as a JV. Um, the next one we did as a syndication. So uh, two partners of mine, uh, we teamed up, three of us did a syndication uh, fourth quarter last year. That was our first one. And then I did my latest syndication my, on my, with myself, with Focus Capital, with Moan Investors. And how have you found that transition what what are you doing to kind of uh attract passive investors it's it's i mean fourth quarter of last year now i mean it's it admittedly throughout the market it's actually a hard time to or harder than it was at least you know a couple of years ago uh to raise capital so how are you finding that process uh what do you think uh what are you doing to attract passive investors well let me touch on something you said first about it's hard to raise capital right now so i, I actually think i'm I may have made a mistake, but I don't regret it. I didn't raise capital until eight months ago. I never did because I, I was in the mindset, I want to make my own mistakes first with my own money. Yeah. You know, not use investors' money. That was just my, my, that's my path that I chose to be on. So I don't really know how easy it was two years ago. I have no knowledge of that. Right, right. <laughs> so what I know right now is how it is. So for me, it's just normal. So my thought is I keep hearing this. So now maybe in a couple of years when it gets easier, I'm going to have great experience in the hardest time we've ever had, right? Yep. So to answer your question, what I do to attract investors is I just like the other business, I try and add value. And I do that by educating. How can I educate people maybe on the risk they're out there, how to find the right sponsorship group? Um, how do you how do you spot their underwriting to make sure they're being conservative? How do you um, what questions do you ask? I created a, a 40 question checklist a while back on my website of of what questions to ask a sponsor. Don't ask them all, but here's here's a sampling, right? Um, but I just I just be I want to want to be real with people, um, show them what, what I'm doing, um, tell people that know like and trust me, and just be an educator. You know, just try and engage with them and, and educate them on on real estate. Yeah. I, I love what you said there that you, you don't, you didn't know any different, you know, in the sense that you started, started at a, at a, what is considered a hard time. And I think that's, that's something, I mean, I, I didn't start much before you in terms of capital raising. And so it, it, I was talking to, to this very topic of one of my mentors and, and she was like, well, you know, you, you kind of, you're, you're in this at the best and the worst time because it's going to be hard, right? It's it's hard in a lot of, not just capital raising, it's hard right now in, in real estate in a lot of capacities. But at the same time, you're going to learn how to do these things better than maybe someone who was doing it, you know, three three years ago when it, we were in this um, really hot market and everybody wanted to get into syndication. So it's kind of, um, you can you can either look at it as, you know, you can be defeated by it and think, oh, this is, this is just too hard. Or you can you sort of say, all right, well, I'm learning all the lessons now. And when things shift, you know, in a few years, we're in another uh, up market. Well, now, now you've established yourself as someone who is providing value, is that educator, is, you know, kind of 
had to put in the extra work <laughs> to, yep. you, you may not have known that it was the extra work, but had to put in the extra work to, to make things work right now. And so I think that's, uh, it, it's actually sometimes, a you know, hard times create, uh, good opportunity sort of in the future. So I think that's really great. Good that's, too. Right. Hard times create good people. Like when, like when your back's up against the wall, you know, the fighters, they fight through it and they make it happen. Yeah. Other people just kind of fold over, you know? And I think right now we're actually in, in one of the better, best times to be in real estate because while some operators had it really easy a few years ago, and let's be honest, you could be blindfolded and run a property and make money, you know, for maybe 18 to 21, you could have, like, right. it's so easy. You had, yeah. anyways, you know how it goes. But I think right now, I think certain operators are gonna have a hard time with their properties if they um, underwrote uh, aggressively, if they didn't, we weren't well capitalized, if they placed wrong debt without a rate cap on the property. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we're going to be in a better position, you know, not being one of those operators to where we can raise capital easier, whereas other ones maybe are having capital calls and so forth. So that's that's my take on it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was, and it, it, this is not, I don't want people to think like we're, <laughs> disparaging people who made money in a good market like good for you that's that's great but the the point is right now we have to work harder we have to work harder because our we should have we should always be putting our investors first if you're syndicating investors come first and it was easy to make them a lot of money you know a few years ago now it now you got to work harder for that you got to you got to do things like you mentioned you've got to do things um in, in you, have, you have to sort of dial in operations you have to be very careful about the debt you have to do all of this um and function at an even higher level and so you could just i guess give up and not care about this but that's the, the people that are working harder and putting in um putting in the extra reps right now that that's yep. who you know in the long run who investors are going to trust i mean and that's ultimately that's that's the whole point right you you, you build investor trust by performing for them it, it, you know yeah. don't tell me show me right it's it's just it's just yeah. the way it is so um i think it's it's a really great point that that you bring up and i think um it is th there are a lot of upsides to a difficult market uh, there's a lot less competition the, the deals that come out, you know, there's a lot less competition for them. Uh, you're going to, <laughs> you're going to have to, by default, become a better operator. You're going to have to, by default, learn more of the intricacies of debt. I mean, there, there's just a lot to it that if you want to survive and you want to do right by your investors, all of that has to be a part of it. So I just, I just love that, that point. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were, you have, uh, bigger goals your your um what what's your how do you see things going forward for for you and your company you know kind of what's the what's the outlook yeah so right now we're growing our team so you know 2023 is what i've kind of earmarked is the year of operational excellence uh, i think a lot of companies are as well but this is our chance to really refine our processes or systems, our foundation. I'm actually going to be kind of overstaffing our company because I see what lies ahead. I still have opportunity in the next 12 to 18 months and we're going to capitalize on it. We're not going to be sitting here in 12 months from now and be like, oh, wait, let's start hiring right now. So right now we've got an analyst, we've got a virtual assistant, a local admin, and we're hiring for a director of operations. 
uh, asset manager role. And then after that, we'll be hiring for an analyst, uh, um, a, a deal funding kind of a guy. Um, the next uh, three years, I would say we're going to grow our, our revenue by at least eight times. Great. Those are great goals. And I, and I you're, the, the concept of sort of building that team to be ready to take advantage of opportunities, uh, I completely agree. I mean, that that's if if you're waiting until everybody knows that the opportunities are there, then they're not opportunities anymore. Now you've sort of missed that. Um, I was actually just listening to uh, a podcast yesterday, and they were talking about how after the after the recession in 2008, it wasn't until basically two years later that everybody knew what the bottom of the market was. So it was like yeah. re, re, bottom was in 2008 and it was in 2010 was when, you know, people started to realize, oh, I guess we're beyond that. And, and I don't know if some of that's fear-based or what, but, but the, the people that, that kind of took advantage and kept going, uh, you know, with, with solid and sound fundamentals really, really did well through that, uh, you know, people that were prepared to take advantage of those opportunities and, and recognize them as opportunities, uh, you know, is, is kind of a, that's, I think that's what you're sort of talking about now is, is preparing for that sort of next, next uh, yeah. bull market. Yeah. yeah and, and there's some groups right now that are, you know, pencils down. I hear from brokers all the time and yeah. we're offering everything we can. We put in a three LOs last week, three offers last week. Yeah. So I, I were still aggressive because then the day, like there's still the dollar is still being devalued, whole different discussion, right? So, but still it's, you've got a hard asset, you're buying today's money, debt at today's money, it's gonna grow. So anyways, it's still a great investment in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, you know, you, you, you make offers, maybe you're not making an offer at what they're suggesting, you know, what the whisper price is, what the pricing guidance, but you do your underwriting, you stay conservative, you, you stick to your fundamentals and, and you, and you write an offer. And, and the reality is, is they can take it. They might not take it, but that can happen in any market. And so as long as you're still sticking with what works and what uh, is going to be beneficial to yourself and your investors, there's no reason not to still be looking at, you know, the deals that are available. It's, it's just not deal flows, just lower, but that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. Yeah. I tell my team, like, the best way you can manage your progress is, is what, what, what's your personal KPIs? Like what's your personal activity? You can measure how many deals you're going to offer on. You can measure that. Right. So we have a goal every, every month of how many deals we're going to put an offer on and it's numbers game, right? You might have to put an offer on 10 deals for you get one, but oh, well, if you don't put offers in a deal, you're not going to get one of those. That makes exactly right. You, if, if <laughs> the answer is always no, if you don't ask. So, I exactly. mean, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's all you don't take. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The the it, it's true. You, you, know, you talk to the brokers, and it's like I, I've had them say, "It well, uh, you know, they'll say here's the pricing guidance. You underwrite it. I'm like, look, I'm 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 nowhere close to that. It, you know, and they're like, well, put in an offer because I think that." they recognize that, you know, maybe that uh, the pricing, you know, the pricing guidance is probably based on what the seller wants to get, but what, what it's actually worth and what they'll sell it for probably somewhere, somewhere in the middle. So um, yep. it is, it is of value to sort of continue, continue the business forward and be, uh, be proactive. And, and just as long as you're sticking to your fundamentals, there's no reason to, you know, sort of think real estate's dead or something like that. It's just, it's just not the, it's just not the case. Um, 
Well, Chad, let me let me switch gears. I, I want to get to ask you the questions I ask every guest. Um, and the first one is uh, based on the name of the show being Know Your Why. So I always ask everyone, what is your why? What What's driving you? You're obviously, uh, you had a successful career. Uh, you've moved into real estate. You're having success there. But what keeps pushing you forward? Sounds like you have you have big goals. So what, what what's the driver there? Yeah, you know, my driver just it's pretty simple. It's my wife and my daughter. It's my family. And just to provide a great life for them, for us, us three, um, to where we can have financial freedom and we can have our time back. I think financial freedom and time freedom are both two different things. And they're 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 very important because there's a little amount of time in, in this world and every day. Everyone has the same amount of time. And if you you know, you got if you make a lot of money but have no time, what good is that, honestly? It's not good at all. So there's two there's two strategies here. You know, to provide a great life, I want to get my time back eventually, which right now I've got a pretty good balance. Um, but also, I want to have full full control and security over my you know financial future. Which real estate is what I've determined to be that path for me. Um, the, the other business that I, I still have today, actually, this other other income stream, but um, it was a great great income stream. But I don't have full ownership over that and. You know, while I'm invested in, in that on in the portfolio, I still get payments. Like it's not, it's not guaranteed. Whereas real estate, you know, it's a hard asset. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to zero. And I just, I think it's a better path for me. And um, that's what drives me every day. I work harder at this than I've ever worked in else else in my life. It's it's something I'm very passionate about, and that's my why, my family. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I love what you said about you know, sort of the time freedom and. Financial freedom—they're they're, not—they're not the same thing. You know, they, they can go hand in hand certainly, but there's there's plenty of people out there that you know make a lot a lot of money, but they give up all their time to do that. Uh, and and I think you know at the end of the day, there that's that's not better. You know, it's it's not you you want to. I, mean, I want to anyway. I I value experiences and time with my family with people I love. Like I. I enjoy what I do, but it's at the end of the day, you know, it's all with the, with the focus of, you know, sort of swapping that or, or turning that ratio of money and time where, you know, time has become more and more important and it's figuring out ways to, to, you know, make the money work for you. That's what, that's why we invest. That's why we do real estate. That's why we uh, talk to investors because it's, you know, even as a passive investor, you can have your earned income and then you can invest it and over time gradually, you know, sort of change the ratio of of where your money comes from without reducing the amount of money. And now, you know, you're you're increasing your amount of time. So it's it it's kind of it takes it takes some time to build that up, but but that's the ultimate goal is to have, you know, sort of time and financial freedom be tied together. You know, I want to touch on that real quick here because you made a great point about when that ratio starts to change, like where your money comes from, whether it's, you know, one stream to four streams of income. And then when you start to get in that substantial passive income to where that's your, it's your other source of income. Like, it's funny. It's like a mindset shift for me. It happened to me, you know, last year. And I'm like, I felt this, oh, this huge sense of like security and just like peace. Like I wasn't reliant on one revenue anymore. Like I, I had something of my own going and it was like making money. It was cash, like real money. Right. And so I right. keep on snowballing, compounding. Like this right. is amazing, right? So it's just, when that keeps, as that keeps going forward, I can only imagine like when that, 
when it, when it now pass, surpasses the other income, that's just going to have to be a great feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you hear about it, you know, people, when they reach that point where their passive income pass, you know, get, gets greater than whatever their, their W2 or their, you know, it's earned income. And, and it's, I don't like keep working. If people want to keep working, keep working. That's fine. You, you probably do, you know, especially in the beginning, as you're growing your wealth, you do need some sort of uh, income to get invested. It's, it's sort of, you know, that sort of, you gotta, you make it, invest it and then grow it. Um, but it's, it's just kind of, that's, that's what you're, you're looking for. That's what you're working towards. That's why we, that's why we get so passionate about real estate and talking about sort of these opportunities to people is because at the end of the day, you're trying to, to change the ratio of, of, you know, time for money so that it's, it's, it's kind of the other way around. And yeah. it's, it's just, some it is, it's a great feeling um, as, as you progress towards it. Um, second question for you, Chad, tell us something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, anything that, um, you know, just to let listeners know you, know you a little bit better. I mean, okay, my family jokes, I'm like, there's like multiple chats, apparently. There's like, you've got woodworking Chad, I can build stuff in a wood shop. You've got wakeboard Chad, you've got kiteboarding Chad, you've got surfing Chad. So anyways, I love water sports. I love all that stuff. Um, we went to Hawaii last February as a family for a whole month. Uh, next year, we're going for three months. So in terms of time freedom, that's something we love to do is have experiences. But I, I, I like water sports. That's my, that's my jam. Yeah, me too. Uh, what part of Hawaii do you? Do you have a favorite island or what's your yeah, what's... Oahu. yeah Kailua? Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, hikes. I think we're I think we're going in December. We have uh tentative nice. plans to go to Hawaii. My, my wife and I, that's where we we uh our honeymoon was Hawaii. We've we've been there with one of our kids, our, our second kid hasn't been, but yeah, it's a kind of a favorite, favorite place to visit. So uh it's it, I don't think <laughs> I don't think we're unique in that. People people love going to Hawaii, it's beautiful. Um <laughs> When people hear this and they want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best place? Yeah, uh, either a website, focusedcapital.com or my email, uh, chad at focusedcapital.com. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. Final question for you. What what piece of advice would you give to someone who's looking to get started in real estate? They hear your story, they, they want to follow in your footsteps. What would you tell them to kind of get them going? I would tell them to hire a coach probably out of the gate. If you can't afford one, find a mentor, someone else that's done it, um, find a way to offer them, add, add value to their life or do some work for them to, in exchange for, for advice. I didn't hire a real estate coach until I was a year and a half into it. And I'm like, wow, I missed a whole lot of stuff in a year and a half. And when I hired that coach, like things changed instantly. So I would say get a coach, but I would say just get started, man. Like you got to go get your property, go find one that cash flows, you know, this, this cash positive, but just go do it. You know, the worst thing is like not making a decision. So it's all about taking action. Like you said, Jason, just take action, go do it. Once you get your first deal done under your belt, you're going to learn a lot of stuff from that first deal and it's going to keep compounding. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, super important. And I think uh, I've, I've had, a couple of different real estate mentors. It's helped me a lot. It helps. It helps with that. It just shortens the learning curve, right? It's just, you know, you, you can, you can figure it out, but it it's, it's going to be easier. You're going to avoid mistakes. You're going to have, you know, kind of a faster road to success with mentorship. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to 
take action. You've got to put those teachings into use, right? It's it's not it's not good enough just to have a mentor. You have to be willing to do the work and and kind of um, rise to the level that 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 they're you know sort of teaching you to be at. So um, I think that's that's great advice. Uh, well, listen, Chad, this is this is really great. I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything you're sharing with uh, myself and the listeners. It's been been really great talking to you. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, man. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, folks listening, I know you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. Please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more uh, fantastic guests like Chad. And thank you all for listening. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.